Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. A Very Regretful Ouija Board Experience by Secret Finish 1205 This happened years ago, in 2019. I was over at a friend's house, and we had five people playing with their Ouija board. I want to preface this story by mentioning that the board we were using was used before to summon a well-known Ouija demon known as Zozo by the person who owned the board. They supposedly sold their soul to Zozo so that the demon would protect them from their biggest fear, which was being in a car crash. Anyway, we started playing. We circled the board with the planchet to warm it up and began asking questions. It began to answer, responding yes to if there was a spirit with us and answering other basic questions such as its name, how old it was, and why it died. The group I was playing with began to ask dumb and all-too-playful questions. They weren't taking it seriously. They were even making fun of me when I chastised them for not being serious about it, so I stopped playing with them after a while. I remember their non-serious nature went on for a while, but as they continued to ask questions, they all had gone silent and had seemed to become entranced by the board, deeply focusing and having a very long session with it. I had tuned out mostly at this point, hanging out with my other friend on the couch, who had also not opted into the session. It's not that I wasn't interested in playing, I just had no tolerance for the group not taking this kind of game seriously, as I've always experienced paranormal things since I was a baby in every single one of my households, I was really sensitive to the paranormal. This was my first experience with the board before I was followed by something. I asked to borrow the Ouija board, and my friend gave me permission. This marks the next time I played the board, which, this is going to be very dumb and cliche, but the day was Friday the 13th, and I decided on playing in Cal Anderson Park in Capitol Hill in Seattle, Washington. My friend and I took the board to the park, and I managed to find a few strangers to play with. My next mistake. We sat down and circled the board. I took to asking the questions. The spirit that we contacted began to give me random letters, as opposed to the previous session having clear English written out. I then asked if this was Latin, because I knew that if the board began speaking Latin, you were supposed to end that session right away. 
It answered yes. Then I asked if it was a negative spirit. It then answered yes. Then I asked permission to end the session. It told me no, then began to circle the board in wide circles. I got very uncomfortable and tried to push the planchet to goodbye, and a strong force pushed against the planchet, not allowing me to move it to goodbye. I did finally manage to get it there after some more force, and I told the spirit it was not allowed to contact me again. I cut contact with the session and flipped the board, believing that the session was cut off, but I left with this deep feeling of dread in my stomach like something wasn't right. And that feeling was correct. My ex and I kept the board at his house in his shed for some time after that, because when we kept it in his house, strange things would happen such as footsteps, doors closing and opening, knocks underneath the floor, his doorknob jiggling and other happenings. We returned the board to the original owner after this, the one who summoned Zozo with it. We didn't want it around anymore and the owner wanted it back. After all of this, a spirit followed me home. I would hear footsteps running up and down the stairs outside of my bedroom. I would wake up freezing cold with a deep feeling of dread and a figure at the foot of my bed. One night, there were heavy banging noises in the garage, which my parents blamed on me, to which I frantically responded. See, something isn't right. Something did follow me home from the Ouija board. They began believing me more that night after the banging. I was so scared during this time that I sprinkled salt around my entire bed and door frame. I slept with crosses and a Bible on my bedside table. I prayed to God every night. I became extremely spiritual around this time because I honestly had no idea what else to do or where to turn. I just wanted the haunting to stop. One morning, my ex and I heard my mom knock on the bedroom door and ask us, why are you guys still sleeping? He got aggravated at my mom for waking us up so early. I checked the time and it was 7 a.m. It was really unlike my mom to be wondering why we were still sleeping at that time. When I went upstairs, a bit annoyed, I asked her about it and she was on FaceTime with my sister's kids in the living room. She had no idea what I was talking about. My mom isn't the type to prank me or lie, and she was very busy with FaceTime. I honestly think back and wonder if whatever asked us if we were sleeping was mimicking my mom, or was an entirely different woman's voice, and we just chalked it up to being my mom, since that's the only lady in the house. The thought still makes me sick, honestly. The person who owned the board, who summoned the demons with it, was also extremely troubled and ended up committing suicide a year or two after I stopped being friends with them. I haven't touched the Ouija board since, and the experience has left me with trauma. I still sleep with the lights on. I still continue to use my pendulums and tarot cards. I also practice with gems and scrying, but I've never touched a board again and I never will. The concepts interest me still. I'm just glad that the thing that had followed me home stopped contact after some time.
My two boys fought something I can't explain by shouting monkey. This happened about 25 years ago, but I still think about it on a regular basis. At the time, my two boys were around 6 and 8 years old, and it happened in a small town about 20 miles from Skinwalker Ranch in Utah's Uinta Basin. Having grown up there, I had more than a few personal experiences that still give me the chills, but this event was beyond anything I've experienced before or even heard about. My two boys slept in a bunk bed in a room just across the hall from my room. I was fast asleep when I was suddenly woken up by the most intense and terrifying screams from my boys, screaming and crying out for me. I jumped out of bed, grabbed my pistol from the top dresser, and threw open my door. How do I say this? There in front of me, running out of my son's bedroom, was a two to three foot bright green creature. I have no idea what it was, but it looked at me as it exited their room and shot down the hallway, made a quick turn and ran down my basement stairs. Keep in mind, all of the lights were off, but this thing stood out, bright green in color, with black patches on its face and body. I only got a quick look at it, but what my kids would tell me terrified me. I ran into their room and flipped on the light. There they were, both of them standing in the middle of the room, holding their pillows. They were crying and screaming so hard I couldn't understand what they were saying. My wife came in and began to calm them down, while I went looking for whatever just ran to my basement. I searched everywhere, every corner, but found nothing. I went back upstairs and asked my boys what happened. Without going into great detail here, what they told me was horrifying. My youngest son told me he woke up and noticed something green, hunched over, standing in the doorway, just looking at him. He wasn't sure what it was, so he sat up. And when he did, this thing started grinning at him, with big teeth, as he said, causing him to let out a scream, waking up my older son. While my younger son was telling me what he had seen, my older son spoke up and said, it looked like Darth Maul, but green. Now I guess out of fear, my son grabbed his pillow and started hitting this thing which had now moved into the room, closer to them. He then tells me it grabbed hold of his pillow and started growling at him. This caused my older son to start screaming as well, and within seconds, he joined in with his pillow, hitting it over and over, until it suddenly let go of the pillow, turned, and started back towards the bedroom door. I think it must have heard me open my door, because this is about when I saw it. Like I said, I didn't get the best look at it, but it was bright green with black patches, and it moved extremely fast. This event had a profound impact on my youngest son. From this point forward, 
he would only sleep with his head covered, which always worried me. I had to sleep in their room for the next week or two before they would go to sleep without me, and only with a lamp in the room. Sounds hard to believe, I get it. Had I not seen it myself, I would have thought they were imagining things. Seeing is absolutely believing. Was it a demon, a ghost, an alien, or something else entirely? I don't have a clue, but I know it was not human, and we never saw it again. Even today, they still draw very similar pictures of what they saw, and while they don't like to talk about it with me, their descriptions have never changed. I had an experience with something very similar when I was about eight years old, and I sometimes wonder if it was the same thing. What I can tell you is that this is a real, 100% true event, and the first time I have shared it with anyone outside of my family. I don't expect anyone to believe it, but I'm telling you, it's all true. One Hundred Year Old Hotel by Toasthead. For context, I'm highly skeptical, but I'm no stranger to the paranormal. I'm the type that believes that demons exist, but most ghost stories are overreactions of easily explained phenomena or simply hoaxes. About three months ago, I started working security for a hotel that was built back in the 1920s by a major hotel chain that has changed hands multiple times and is now owned by one of the biggest hotel chains. I'm not saying which, so the company doesn't sue me. Now, from what I've been told, paranormal activity is not a common occurrence in the hotel, but some years back, the Make-A-Wish Foundation started sending some children here because, well, it's a major resort at one of the most popular beaches on the East Coast, so why wouldn't they? However, the hotel was not informed of this and didn't realize what was happening until several children died in their rooms over the next few weeks. Supposedly, on quiet nights, you can hear the children playing with a ball in the North Tower ballrooms at night. For years, guests complained of children playing ball loudly next to their rooms. Security would check and there would be nobody there. Now every shift we do a floor check, especially on the night shift when I work. At first, I never noticed anything strange. I got a little creeped out by the quiet of the floors at night, but nothing supernatural. The hotel has two separate towers separated by a restaurant and shopping area that connects them. About a month into the job, I started feeling like something was following me on my floor checks, especially in the South Tower, which is the biggest and tallest. It's also the place that most jumpers choose because all of the rooms face the ocean and have sliding glass doors with a short railing in front, 
you can put the rest together. Anyway, it got really bad in October. Maybe the spooky season affected me, but this feeling of being watched and followed never went away. As the weeks went on, I started seeing distorted faces in windows as I passed by, to the point where I would no longer even look at them. The floor pattern sometimes reflects on the glass, and the mind could easily make a face with the pattern. But some of these faces were up further on the glass, where this wouldn't have been possible. When I focus up there sometimes, I can almost hear whispers in the back of my mind, urging me to do something bad to myself. Or lambasting me for the mistakes that I've made, or even telling me insecurities that I have about myself that I've never told anyone about. In the last few weeks, some strange physical and auditory phenomena have occurred. Part of what we do on floor checks is close doors that we find open, and some of the doors lately have been more difficult to close. One in particular, I had to use all my strength just to slam it shut. The ice machines on each floor sometimes make a banging noise while in operation, so I usually attribute any noise that I hear from the vending machine area to that. But sometimes, it almost sounded like something was rummaging through the garbage cans. When I would go to investigate, I'd hold my keys so that they wouldn't jingle in case it was a person. And as soon as I do, the rummaging noise will stop. On a couple of occasions, I've felt what I can only describe as hands touching me while closing certain doors. Sometimes just a tickle, and other times a brush against the back of my hand. I've even felt somebody on the other side of the door pulling it in the opposite direction against me. I now dread the floor checks, especially after 3 a.m. I'm not trying to make this seem scarier than it is, but these things intensify the closer it gets to that hour. Whatever they are, they aren't friendly, and I think they know I can sense them. They really don't like that I can sense them either. I'm pretty religious, and whenever these things happen, I always pray to God, and when I do, it usually goes away, whatever it is. The scariest thing, though, was last time when it was intense, I heard something growl next to my ear. I've never been hurt by them, so my assumption is that they can't hurt anyone physically, but they do try to communicate often. My grandmother told me once that demons truly have no power, and they are only capable of whatever we believe them to be capable of. My mounting fear is feeding them whatever they are. My experience could just be me seeing things or looking too much into something completely explainable. I don't know. This is just what I've seen and heard. Whatever is hunting me at night, my coworkers don't know about it, or at least they aren't telling anyone. I'm bipolar, but medicated, and I've never had hallucinations. Maybe I'm just crazy in seeing things, but if that's the case, why am I not having any other signs of a manic episode or psychosis, and why am I only seeing things in that part of the building?
The Hat Man Protected Our Home by Flora. This took place in Brazil during the 1970s. My family lived in a pretty old house, and on top of that, my grandmother was an Umbanda high priestess. Umbanda is a Brazilian religion that mixes African, indigenous, and Catholic beliefs. So a lot of things considered supernatural were normal in our house. At first, my mom wasn't used to these beliefs since she was brought up Christian, but she was an ostensive medium who could see and hear spirits since she was a kid. Sometimes she couldn't really distinguish them from the living since she saw them so clearly. One night she woke up, and when she opened her eyes, she saw a man. She described him as a Victorian character from a novel, wearing some sort of cloak and a hat. He was inside the bedroom, facing the window, looking through it. She got scared, thinking he could be a burglar and decided she would pretend to be sleeping. Maybe this way he would take whatever he wanted and go away, without doing us any harm. Suddenly, the man moved and went through the door toward my brother's bedroom. My mom's protective instinct kicked in. She woke up my father and got up, running to my brother's bedroom. But the man wasn't there. In fact, he wasn't anywhere to be found. It was as if he had disappeared into thin air. The house wasn't big. There weren't big wardrobes or anywhere he could have hidden. He just evaporated. The next morning at breakfast, she told my grandmother what she saw. Even though she was used to seeing spirits and all sorts of weird stuff, she had never seen such a figure. Seeing a tall shadow man wearing a hat and a cloak really spooked her. Then, my grandmother calmly explained that the man my mom saw was a capa preta, or black cloak, and that he wasn't anything bad. He would do no harm to our family. In fact, he was one of our guardians, and he was only doing his job, so nothing bad could come inside. Every time I hear a story about the hat man, it makes me wonder if it was a capa preta. Was he guarding the people that saw him instead of wanting to harm them? Haunted Homestead by Ghosts of Alaska My great-grandfather homesteaded in Alaska before all the housing developments and heavy traffic. It used to be a really quiet area, very swampy, super cold in the winter. You'd walk through the swamp and hit patches that weren't quite frozen all the way through, even in the deepest part of the winter. Now, that in and of itself isn't unusual. Running water doesn't always freeze. It's a geologically active area, and there are reasons for that. My great-grandfather spent time in Ireland before settling in Alaska, and he liked to tell how when he was there, he rescued a pair of fairies 
and made a pact with them in exchange for being able to see things that nobody else could. He'd take them with him and provide alcohol to their liking. When he settled in the homestead, he brought the fairies with him, so long as they had a drop of alcohol and good company in the cold winter, they would stay there. Now, we did see them on occasion at the swamp, not just us kids, but the adults too. They looked like fireflies or balls of light, mostly white, but you would see one in red or blue now and again. Not like slightly red or slightly blue, like red M&M or blue M&M, but glowing red or blue. We also saw them inside the cabin. Sometimes they would follow you or collect nearby while we were chopping firewood, but not always. The red one was almost always around when somebody got hurt, and we were all fairly convinced that it made bad things happen. I'm not sure if people outside of our family saw them, but I do know that everyone within my immediate family had at least a handful of direct experiences with them, and at least one negative experience with the red light, or fairy, as my family always called it, present. The cabin had a sort of lodge-style design. The rooms were lofted, and to either side of the living room, kind of like in hotels where there's an open middle section, banisters surrounding it with rooms on opposite sides. It doesn't really matter except that from upstairs, you could see either side of the wall dividing the kitchen and sunroom, and on more than one occasion, you would see the little balls of light. They would hit the wall and just keep going out to the other side. You'd also hear whistling sometimes, kind of an echo of what my grandfather sounded like when he was drinking, and, as he'd like to say, chatting with fairies in his putter room. It would happen when you were in the swamp and in the house, and when you were the only one on the property at all. The homestead burned down shortly after my grandfather passed away, maybe seven years ago, and so far, Nobody is in a hurry to rebuild. I do wonder sometimes if the lights are still out there, or the whistling, but I'm not in any rush to find out. The Kentucky Holler Crawler by Tyler R. When I was about nine or ten years old, my uncle told me a story that has stuck with me ever since. Growing up in Kentucky, I've always heard tales of, you know, Bigfoot or the Pope Lick Goatman, the usual run-of-the-mill urban legend campfire story. But in the case of the story my uncle had told me, it was different from all the other tall tales I had heard before, or since. Kentucky is home to the largest cave system in the world, Mammoth Cave. Since its founding on July 1, 1941, only about 365 miles have been surveyed by the human eye. It's believed that there are over 600 miles of passageways and caverns yet to be discovered. The National Park is stretched over three counties, 
spanning more than 5,000 acres, Edmondson, Hart, and Barron counties. My uncle owned land in Edmondson County since the early 1980s. I remember hearing about how when they were out hunting for deer, they would occasionally come across pits in the ground of various sizes. They were the mouths of cave entrances. They would usually just toss a barrel or a large tree branch into the hole so no one would stumble across it, fall in, and become trapped. Besides wildlife or just getting lost in the woods, there wasn't really anything else you had to worry about, according to most people. This story takes place in the early 1990s, about five years after my uncle purchased the land. His closest neighbor, who I'll call Ken, lived about a half mile down the dirt road that ran parallel to both of their properties. They naturally became good friends over time and on occasion would accompany each other hunting. My uncle lived in Louisville and would visit his property when he had off days or needed to do upkeep, like mowing or restocking his pond. So unlike his neighbor Ken, he spent more than most of the year in Louisville. On this particular weekend, Ken went out hunting for deer. He left his cabin and headed off into the woods, as he'd done a hundred times before. He followed a path that he had used plenty of times, to a small grouping of trees overlooking a large meadow. According to him, it was a perfect sunny fall day with not many clouds in the sky. He sat in the shadows underneath some low-hanging tree branches, feeling hidden from any would-be prey that might come by. Despite it being the ideal weather for hunting, he didn't see much in terms of game. Just a few fawns and a doe, not the big trophy buck he was hoping for. He had been entertaining the idea of just grabbing his gear and heading back to the cabin, but not wanting to go home empty-handed, he decided to stick around for a little while longer in hopes his luck would change. His chest fluttered when he looked across the meadow to the left and saw movement in the tree line opposite of him. He pulled his rifle to his shoulder and looked down the scope. The thick trees and foliage at the edge of the tree line prevented him from getting a good view of the animal in his sights. From what he could tell, it was headed towards the edge of the woods. He just had to be patient. When it stepped out of the shadows of the trees, about 50 yards away, and into the clearing, he knew almost immediately he wasn't looking at a deer. He tried to keep his hands from shaking his rifle as he desperately tried to identify exactly what it was he was looking at. He described its body as that of a panther, but the upper torso, where the shoulders and neck were, sat noticeably higher than its lower back and hind legs. He was looking at its side profile, which he claimed while in mid-stride, this thing had to be close to seven feet in length. He said it was quiet, like a cat. It never made a noise when it moved. The front legs, he said, looked more like arms, significantly longer and skinnier than its hind legs. It had brittle, dark brown hair that started from the back of its head and ran down the length of its back, 
like a hyena. He also claimed that the creature's skin looked waxy, almost like a chimpanzee's, dark brown, almost black. Its face was long like a dog's, but he said he noticed no ears. He said the corners of its mouth ended by the neck, where the ears should be. The most unsettling detail I can remember, though, was this thing's back legs. He described them as looking frog-like, as in the back legs were tucked up close to the creature's sides. When it walked, the leading leg would reach almost to the front half of its body, and the other leg would stretch way back, flat like a frog when it crawled. He watched it for about two or three minutes, slowly and quietly moving through the long golden grass. He watched it disappear into the tree line, directly across from the woods he saw it come from initially. After a few moments, he left and headed back to his cabin. I don't know how long it was after this incident occurred that Ken told my uncle about it, but he was reluctant to speak on it. He dubbed it the Kentucky Holler Crawler. Eventually, Ken explained the story in full one night while sitting around a fire with my uncle. Ever since then, Ken refused to go into the woods. He claimed to only hunt from the dirt road running through his property afterward. Both my uncle and Ken have sadly since passed, but their story never changed over the years. I even had my uncle retell the story to me a few years back, just so I knew I had all the details right. Maybe this was just another tall tale used to scare me and my brother when we were kids, camping on my uncle's land. But I know one thing for sure, he was an honest man, and his eyes told the truth when he would tell me that story. He had his own fair share of unexplainable instances as well. I'm sure anybody would, after frequenting a cabin in the middle of nowhere Kentucky for over 30 years. The thing that keeps me up at night, though, isn't the thought of the creature, it's the thought of where it came from. Who's to say this thing didn't crawl up from the caves, spanning hundreds of miles in every direction, hidden from civilization, thriving off the ecosystem? Nothing is impossible when it comes to nature. Nobody really knows for sure what is out there in the dark. One of the last sentences in that story sums up how I feel about the paranormal in general, cryptids especially, and that's, nothing is impossible when it comes to nature. But it could also be said about intangible forces like spiritual presences and weird energies or whatever. Yeah, like these sightings could lead to a new scientific discovery or something. I actually think discovering a new species is just as exciting as speculating over the more mythical stuff. Some sort of relative to the raccoon was discovered in South America like 10 years ago. Huh. 
and it was actually considered a full-blown new species, like just another cute little animal nobody knew existed until recently. At that rate, we'll probably find Bigfoot's bones. Between water bears and goblin sharks, I don't think Bigfoot is all that far-fetched in terms of scientific possibilities. Yeah, water bears are very cool. And also very, very microscopic. (laughs) Fun fact of the day. (laughs) They give me hope, at least for some form of life on Mars, too. Yeah, I've always thought that it was kind of funny. The fact that we always think we're going to see and interact with alien life and just expect them to have humanoid shapes and sizes. Yeah. If there's life on another planet, why couldn't it be microscopic? Why does it always have to be human shaped and human sized? That's a good point. Probably because it sounds cool. Also more exciting and relatable, maybe. Yeah. And people tend to just fill in blanks with what's already familiar or predictable. Kind of like a form of stereotyping, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So I do want to go back to the story that you read. The author referenced the Pope Lick Goatman. And I obviously had to look that one up. Well, it turns out there's a place in Louisville called Pope Lick Creek where the Pope Lick Goat is said to live. He would lure people onto this railroad trestle bridge thing, like from Stand By Me. (laughs) And the Wanderer would eventually meet their doom when they go there. He's apparently part man, part goat, and part sheep. When I hear Pope Lick Goatman, I imagine a Baphomet who tiptoes into the Vatican at 3 a.m. and tries to (laughs) lick the Pope when he's sleeping. Some little trickster. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I had to look it up. So this guy made a short film about Pope Lick Goatman, and I guess the railway officials were worried that it would bring in too many troublemakers and they could end up getting hurt after watching the film. And they were not wrong. There are a lot of people that ended up dying there, even as recently as 2019. They either get hit by a train or end up falling off of the trestle bridge. One guy even got pinned between his ATV and the railroad tracks in this freak accident and got hit by the train. You know, I'm glad I'm not a motocross riding monster energy drinker because that would happen to me. Yeah. (laughs) But it makes you wonder about these legends existing for a reason, regardless of the cryptid's existence. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of cryptids, going back did I hear you right? Goblin sharks? Is that a thing? Is, or is it just like a new cryptid that I didn't know about? Oh, they're real. Their snout looks like a goblin's nose and their teeth are basically needles. Wow. Really scary. Nightmare fuel. Yeah. But luckily, they're about as elusive as the jaguar shark. <laughs> nice ZC reference. Thanks. Um, so what else do we have? Oh, yeah. The short Darth Maul looking thing. What do you think that was? No idea. Maybe he was Darth Maul's neglected brother, green with envy since he was so much shorter, apparently. <laughs> the author actually provided a picture of it. We'll post that somewhere. Yeah, it's good. And I'm not sure if he used AI or if he drew it himself, but it's definitely creepy. It kind of reminds me of a green version of the demon from Insidious, but that thing already kind of looked like Darth Maul. Oh, yeah, I love Insidious. So, yeah, let's definitely leave that picture in the show notes. Um, a lot of you enjoyed the story about the faceless so we wanted to share a couple of theories that were sent to us on instagram stephanie says i feel like the opposite has happened meaning the faceless has never actually left him and she goes on to say the reason for going into crystal metaphysical shops being problematic is because they're amplifying all the energy that's already in there a possible scenario for the faceless being 
Shadow people and entities of the like are not always a negative thing. And when you're more sensitive and you're not listening to your spirit guides or your gut, they can be a little more assertive depending on what they think you need. Ooh, I like that. It's kind of similar to what Autumn said. But she was a bit darker with her take. She says, I am by no means a professional in the paranormal, but my first instinct said this. You know how everything goes quiet, the air stands still, and a bad feeling comes over everyone when there's an evil presence around. What if the author is now possessed by the faceless? What if the faceless lives inside of his soul? When he went on that ghost tour, what if all of the spirits were hiding because they could sense the evil presence in the author? And when he goes into the crystal shops, it hurts him because the crystals are supposed to ward off evil. I know this is a dark, sad take on the story again, but I'm just telling you my first instinct. They do give similar opinions, but clearly I've got to say, Stephanie likes to think on the bright side. No offense to you, Autumn, you very well may be right, and by the sound of it, I don't think the author would be all that upset. He seems to really miss this faceless thing. Yeah, I agree. And if I may, I feel like there's a cliche quote to be had here. <laughs> something cute about how we often search for something missing, but it was there all along. Yeah, that reminds me uh, of something that Piglet said in The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I used to watch those all the time, and I would memorize all the lines. Mm-hmm. Piglet said, if you want to find something... You just have to look in the last place first. Sage advice from the 100 Acre Wood. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's leave them with that. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, If you have a story to share, make sure you send it to stories at oddtrails.com. All of the stories you heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to sign up and support the show today. And make sure you check out all of the other podcasts like Let's Not Meet and the Old Time Radio Cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com. We'll see you guys next week. Everyone stay safe. Peace out.